And so often I fear that we do complain about the gifts that the Lord gives us. And yet he knows the big picture. He knows that you will perhaps never, as we go through a list here, there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For most, no one will be all those. Or to be all those at once is very rare, but one of any of those. But we can be part of the body of Christ. And the Lord knows the lives that we will impact, the lives that we will affect for the Lord. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. We're in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 4 today, verses 7 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. I just want to begin by reading out the portion there in the book of Ephesians, and then we'll get into the study. But it tells us in verse 7, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, When he ascended on high and led captivity captive, he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Here we have in Ephesians chapter 4, remember as I said last week as we made this transition from chapter 3 into chapter 4, we also kind of split a theme in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters being of that which God has already set aside for us, has already promised us, already given us in everything that is in Him. 
in Christ Jesus. In chapter 1, we learn that we were chosen, we were predestined, accepted, redeemed, forgiven according to the riches of God's grace. In chapter 2, Paul focused on the wonder of salvation that had been bestowed upon the Gentiles. And then he goes into the end of chapter 2, into chapter 3, talking about the mystery of Christ and this unity that we have, both Jew and Gentile, one in the body of Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ saying that these things are ours now. You know, we get this concept of heaven one day. We get this concept of all these things. Yes, they're ours, but it's one day. It's going to be far off. And in one sense, that's true. One day, we will see the fulfillment of all these things. But Paul is writing in the first three chapters to tell us that they are ours. It's not a one-day thing. They're already yours. You just haven't seen them with your eyes. You haven't experienced them, but they're yours, the promises of God. He takes us in the first three chapters from the heights of the heavenlies down to earth. Now, it's here on earth that we have the problem of kind of working it all out and getting it to gel in our lives to work out to where we're actually living what Christ would have us to do. I don't know about you, but I struggle with this flesh. I struggle with this flesh. I am like Paul in Romans chapter 7 where he talks about the things that I know I shouldn't do, I do, and the things that I know that I should be doing, I don't. And there's this conflict that is constantly in me, constantly going on. And so we get into chapter 4, it's the how-tos, kind of putting it down to earth for us. And today we learn that he has equipped us and he has edified us, but this is a continual process. The equipping, the edifying, it's something that God is continually doing just as we grow up in faith in him. And so we begin in verse 7, it says, but to each one of us, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Do you remember Christmas as a child? I don't know. I had uh, three older sisters, and I had uh, some cousins that we were very close with. And so we spent our Christmases together quite often. I mean, in Christmas morning, it was our families only. But by the afternoon, Christmas Eve, we were with the larger family, and we would exchange gifts and There's always this thing about exchanging gifts on Christmas Day that as a child, sometimes you're kind of looking at what the other siblings received and thinking that maybe you got ripped off and it was kind of a bum deal on your perspective. I don't think it's changed so much in the church today because here in verse 7, we learn that each one of us, because of grace, we have received a measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us, we have been given a measure of of Christ's gift. He has given us gifts according to the work that he has called each one of us to do. And we'll go through that. We'll see it here in this passage. But so often I think we're looking at other people's gifts and saying, well, I wish I was able to do that. I wish, Lord, why didn't you gift me in this way? And we question the gifts of Christ. Now, he gets really into the body working effectively together in here. There's a purpose for each one of us. You know it. We're all getting a little older in here, and the older we get, we find that things just don't work as well anymore. And I was just working on some stuff yesterday at my house, and because it was a little messy, I had to take my glasses off, and 
and I just don't see as well as I used to. It's frustrating. The eyes aren't what they used to be. And I remember when they were, I used to brag. You can ask Melissa. Um, I used to brag about my keen vision. It's not so keen anymore. But when one part of your body begins to fail, all suffers. And it's the same thing with the body of Christ. And, and we have each been given a gift. According to the measure of Christ's gift, each one of us, grace was given. Now, it's not saving grace that he's talking about here. Because as believers, we've all been saved. That's a part of grace. But he's talking about the grace that has been given to the works that he has called us to. It's a, a gifting grace. Each one of us, Christ has gifted us. You know, on Thursday, Marvin and I went down to a, a luncheon where Jim Daly, the head of Focus on the Family, uh, was speaking. And I was so blessed. Last year when I went to this luncheon, the speaker was selling his new book, his new product. And that's pretty much 15 minutes of, this guy's all right. Suddenly he's selling his book. It's like, why did I even come? You know, I don't want a new product. I don't want a new book. But Jim Daly, and I was expecting, he's got a sell focus on the family. And he didn't. He let us know that he, and we knew who he was, that he had taken over the reins from James Dobson to be had and the CEO, the president, and even the host of Focus on the Family. But he told his story. And this was a guy who, at the age of five, his father left. And so suddenly, mom and five kids on their own. And then at the age of nine, mom died. Now, in between that, mom had remarried, but on the day they came home from the funeral, not the dad, not the stepdad, because he was so overwhelmed emotionally, he, well, he actually had something else in mind. They came home, the children came home from the funeral, their house was empty. Dad, their stepdad had sold everything, and they walked into this empty house, and suddenly their stepdad came out with two suitcases. And he said he never even set them down. He said, I just, I can't take this. I need to leave. And he left and walked out of their lives forever. Five kids on their own, lost their mom, lost their dad because he, he left, lost their mom through death. But everybody has a gifting. And the one thing that I think he was trying to say to us as pastors, as leaders in the church, was that you never know how your gifting can affect an individual. And for him, he received Christ because someone paid his way to a fellowship for Christian athletes weekend retreat. And it's at that retreat that he received Jesus Christ as a Savior because someone was willing to sponsor him. In a couple of weeks, we have uh, Kevin has taken the youth out on a retreat. And uh, the weekend that David Payne is going to be here that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning. They're going to be on a retreat that weekend. And, and you never know what God can do in a life of an individual. And maybe you're not part of the youth group. Maybe, you know, you don't have anything to do as far as teaching the youth, but to sponsor a youth, it could be life-changing. Everyone has a gift. It's a measure of grace. It's a gifting grace and it's according to the measure of Christ. It means Christ gets to dole it out to each of us. And so often I fear that we do complain about the gifts that the Lord gives us. And yet he knows the big picture. He knows that you will 
perhaps never, as we go through a list here, there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For most, no one will be all those. Or to be all those at once is very rare, but one of any of those. But we can be part of the body of Christ. And the Lord knows the lives that we will impact, the lives that we will affect for the Lord. So he's given gifts to each of us. And then he, he seemingly gives a sidetrack here because he's dealing with the giftings, but he goes on in verses 8 through 10 saying, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. How does this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who has ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And it's, it's kind of a sidetrack because in this passage that Paul quotes from Psalm 68 where David is prophesying of the work of Christ during the three days that he's in the grave, as he quotes this, he says he gave gifts to men. So he's talking about we've each received gifting grace. We've each received a measure of Christ's gifts. And it is he who has ascended, the Lord Jesus Christ. We think often of the Lord ascending to heaven, don't we? We think often Easter comes up and we'll be celebrating his resurrection, but also his ascension into heaven that followed 40 days later, actually, from that time. We think of the day of Pentecost and the gifts that were poured out through the Holy Spirit because Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. The work of the cross, the victory that he has paid uh, with his own life that he has made for each one of us. We think about our Lord risen and ascended into heaven. And quite often we don't think about it. He first descended into the lower parts of the earth. Now this is not talking about the time from his virgin birth to his death on the cross. It's not talking about all the ministry that took place in between that. Although technically he came from heaven into that babe, grew into a man, was crucified upon the cross. And so technically there was this dissension. He came to the earth in flesh. But this is talking about a time when Jesus Christ went into the lower parts of the earth, into the what we might call the belly of the earth, where Jesus himself said in Matthew twelve forty. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now we have in the Bible in Luke chapter 16 the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And a lot of people like to call this a parable. And it comes after a series of parables that Luke gives us. But I've never viewed Lazarus and the rich man as another parable because one reason we've never found in any of the parables that Jesus ever used somebody's name. We're always talking about a certain man, and, and in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, the certain man is the rich man. We never learn the rich man's name, but we do know the name of Lazarus. Now, this whole thing goes into a thought process. As I was looking into this, I googled in just to see what I could find. Jewish tradition and shield or Hades. I wanted to get the feel of what the tradition was. And around the time of Christ, before and after the time of Christ, there was this belief of shield or the belief of Hades. Shield is the Old Testament name in Hebrews for the place of the dead. 
Hades is the Greek language for this. It's the abode of the dead. It's, we would translate it in the King James. I think they just simply translated it as hell, either in the Old Testament or New Testament. But when you go back to the original language, it's shield, it's Hades. And the belief in the early church, in the, uh, the Jewish thought of traditions that surrounded hell, that it was actually divided into four compartments. There was one part that was of shield that was for the really bad, never see the light of day. There was another part for the not so bad. They spend there for a year, do their year in, in the not so bad part, and they'd make it to the next step to the pretty good people place. Kind of that view of purgatory. We kind of get that idea of where the idea of purgatory, if you can work your way out, that you're not going to forever be uh, separated from God. And then there was the place that was reserved for the righteous in that four compartment. Now, we don't know about that. That's just Jewish tradition that surrounds that. But we do have Jesus teaching about this dissension of Lazarus and the rich man, where it tells us in Scripture that there was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day and lying outside the gate of the rich man's residence was a certain beggar named Lazarus. He was full of sores, and he only desired to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, after a period of time, we know that both died, and Lazarus, he opened his eyes. He was in Abraham's bosom. The rich man, it tells us that he opened his eyes in the torments of hell. This morning, I I noticed that I was just reading through my notes and it's like, it's plural. It's not the torment of hell. Torments of, of Hades is what it says there in the Greek. And he lifted up his eyes. He saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And the rich man saw Abraham. He cried, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in, in water to cool my tongue for I am in I am tormented in this flame. So there's a couple of things we learned, that there's torments, there's flame, and he's wanting just a drop of water. Does that even make sense? I mean, it doesn't to me, but I guess if you're mentally just thinking just something to quench my, my thirst, but he wasn't even asking for much. But it's what Abraham taught, what Jesus taught, the response of Abraham that we really want to see here. And he reminds, Abraham reminds the rich man, in your life you receive the good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And then he went on to ask, well, if he can't come over, then send him back to my father. But Abraham said, between us and you there is this great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here cannot, nor can those from there, pass to us. And so what was Jesus doing three days in that grave? I believe he went down into Hades, wherever it is. You know, in the heart of this earth, Scripture refers to it as that. But he was there in this abode of the dead. And according to the Word of God, he did a few things through his cross, through his dissension and his ascension back into heaven. It tells us that he disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them. In Colossians 2, 13 through 15, it says this, and you being dead in your trespasses 
and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgive all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against them, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. But he also, he preached. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, he says, by whom he also, he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedience when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while Noah prepared the ark. He's going back in that passage in 1 Peter 3.20. He's going all the way back to those who died in the flood. He's taken us back almost 5,000 years ago. He's going back to those who died in the flood or over 5,000 years ago, and he's saying that Jesus preached to them who were in prison, the disobedient who had died in the flood. See, I believe when Jesus went down into the grave, he not only set the captives free, as we'll get to in a moment, but he showed himself to those who did not believe in his coming. He showed himself to those who were disobedient to the command of God in their life, who refused to believe that a Messiah was coming. They didn't know it was Jesus, but we know from Adam until the end of the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, that there were those who had faith in God, and they, in Hebrews it tells us, they longed for this city. Although they never obtained the city, they had a longing for the city that was not found on this earth. And they were longing for the Messiah. So I believe on one side of that caboose, Abraham's bosom, that, that Jesus revealed himself. He preached the truth to them that they would know what they would miss. It, it is a torment to know that, that here I am, see me, I came, I died. And I could have given you forgiveness of sin, but you would not believe. On the other side, there were the righteous who believed in the coming of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and said, here I have come, I have died, and now you have been set free. And the Bible tells us that not only did he, he preach to them, but he proclaimed liberty to the captives. He opened the prison to those who were bound. And it was his mission statement in Luke chapter 4, but it came from Isaiah 61.1 where it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to those who are bound. Jesus went into the lower part of the earth. He first descended into the lower parts of the earth that he could set captivity captive, that he could set them free. The Bible tells us that when Jesus died and was buried and rose again in Matthew 27:52 there were some things that took place 27:52 and 53 it says the graves were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many a proof that Jesus Christ had set the captives free he gave a physical proof by having people come back from the dead and the thought is when Jesus ascended into heaven, they couldn't beat him there because Christ is the prototype. He's the one who first ascended. And so when he ultimately, after his death, he led captivity captive. He took those that he had freed from Hades, those who were 
looking forward in faith to the coming Messiah, he brought them into paradise, into heaven. He who did all that, he has also gifted us today. Father, I pray that we would be that people. Lord, that you would just have your work with us. And, and for you to work in it, it doesn't mean that we have to be a large church. We have to be a big church. We're not judging by numbers, Lord. What we're judging is, are we being conformed into your image? Are you ministering through us, through the ones that you have given us to minister and to teach us? Are we growing? Are we being edified? Are we doing the work, our share of ministry that you've called us to? Are we being conformed into your image? Father, are we doing it in love? I pray, Lord, that in many of these questions, we probably can say yes and probably can say no. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work in this fellowship. We know, Lord, that we are part of the church. We are part of your church. You are the head, and you have many congregations throughout the world. We're just one joint, one part of this church. But within this church, Lord, I pray that we would function, and we do well. I believe, Lord, we do well. But I know that there's more for me. I know, Lord, you want more out of me. And I pray, Lord, that that is the desire of each of us here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.